Hey, and welcome to When She Leads, a podcast for women in ministry. I'm your host, Brenda Leavenworth, and I want to sit around the table with you, grab a cup of coffee, and consider the complexities and realities of leading as a woman. I'll be joined by an awesome team of women from across the globe, and together we'll bring our experience, research, victories, and of course, our failures. Listen in as we confront each topic biblically and practically. And I would say instead as leaders, what we need to do is look to the people. And I always say it's important to serve the the weakest, the ones who are hurting, the ones that might be very different from us, and to seek those out because that promotes um, unity and it promotes just what Jesus was like, that He came to serve. And we want to be more of that mentality, not just coming along to our fellowships and looking for people who are just like us, who can serve my needs for friendship and just um, have a little inside group. Well, unity is important to God. We know this, but what are the boundaries? Is there a place for disharmony? Does unity mean that we agree with everything someone says or does? Unity, which is a state of being united or being together, doesn't mean unanimity. More um, Unanimity is more of a, a complete consensus or agreement on everything. Well, we know that's impossible. We see examples of unity throughout Scripture. Um, think about the Trinity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are diverse. They each have their own distinct roles, yet united, one in spirit. We see unity in marriage. It's called a covenant or an agreement or a union. There's diverse two people that are diverse, male and female, with different roles biblically, but united, one in spirit. And then we see unity in the church of many diverse members, but one body again, one in spirit. So there's this completeness that comes in unity. And that's our focus today. I'm joined by Rosemary and Kelly today. Hi, everybody. Hello. So why is it so hard? (laughs) Why is unity so, so difficult? It's because we disagree a lot. You'd have to be under a rock right now not to see that unity is not being practiced. Yes, I think it's just we're human. That's just part— no, I think one of it's one of the Satan's biggest tools, also division, to cause people to divide. And we're just human and full of pride and self, and it gets in the way. And I think it's really important, you know, I think of Psalm 133, 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together. So, so many times in Scripture it talks about. But I think it's important to understand, uh, like in John 17, where Jesus is praying, and He prays. Like he's praying for unity, but he's talking about it positionally and practically. And I think we need to remember that we are all baptized in Christ, one, you know, one body, one this. And so positionally, we are unified. And then he goes on and actually in John 17, uh, 21 through 23, he talks about it being the practical, that it's perfect. You know, we are to be perfected in unity and the wording that he uses. So everybody go read that, but it implies this process of growth. So it's a it's a positionally we're one, but yet it's something kind of like sanctification that we are continually working on. And the purpose of unity, I mean, we all know that it's to show the world. Jesus himself says that uh, we are one and bring glory to God. And so it's something that Jesus is praying for. And I just had a thought this morning. I'm like, we could be the answer to Jesus' prayer if we continue to strive after unity. I don't know. Amen. I thought that was kind of cool. So I like yeah. that. 
And I think too, just looking at the body of Christ, it's so diverse and we should have diverse churches that represent all the people who live in our areas and not just be a monogamous group of people, the similar, a similar age and with 2.5 kids and, you know, this kind of thing, but (laughs) we should really be a true representation of the body with people of all ages being able to fellowship together and being able to be united because of Christ. I I love that because Galatians 3 does talk about that, where he has united us all. We are all um, sons of God. And it says in 328, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Mm -hmm. male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's definitely... You know, the church, I think, was designed—not I think, the church was designed by God to move forward in the same direction as a community, you know, with the same goal and purpose, not a bunch of lone rangers with everybody doing right in their own eyes. We're supposed to be working as community, and that's how He designed us. And I think it's important for us to remember that God created unity. We are called to make every effort to maintain it, you know? Amen. And so— I think about scriptures, you know, be at peace with all men, you know, especially as as it depends (laughs) upon you, you know, do good um, to all, especially those that are in the household of God. And so God talks so much about unity. John 13, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, he goes on and on and on about um, unity within the church, and yet we, we— we want to practice unity, and there even you know, and I and I think that we get this mixed up because I think sometimes we think, well, if I don't like what you're doing or I don't like what you what you stand for, see, to me, it's an affront to then my identity because like you're, you know what I mean. So I'm thinking like, okay, you're you're I don't like what you do. So then I think then I think our default is well, then we have to divide. But that's not necessarily true. I can still love you. I can turn you over to the Lord. I can appreciate what you're doing. Now, in error, you know, there are scriptures that talk about us calling out false teachers and and that sort of thing. But in general, the church is to be unified. You know, I I said this last week, and, and it sounds kind of harsh, but it's like God's not a polygamist. Like there's one, there has there's one bride. You know, he he doesn't have multiple brides. He has one bride, but it gets tricky because there's differences in, okay, what do we believe about the gospel? And and I think it's important because, you know, there are essentials, and we've discussed that before, but the basic tenets of the gospel, right, that, you know, we unify with people in. But before we go into sort of church upon church leadership, let's talk a little bit about us and our job in unity, maybe as church leaders, because after all, this is a resource and equipping for leaders. Yeah. I think it's so important that leaders are aware of their position, that what they do affects the people around them, how they treat the people in their fellowship. And leaders can really hurt unity. There are things we can do that can break unity. And there are things, you know, that are obvious, like gossiping, um, envy, having, you know, things like strife. And a lot of us say, oh, no, 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 I don't take any part of that stuff. But it's really, it's a work of the flesh. We all have a tendency to go in these ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, Galatians 
5 says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. There are things like sexual immorality, impurity, and the list might go on. And it, pay attention to this. It says hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And I, I've thought a lot about these words, that these are things that um, we might not pay as much attention to. What, what are factions? Those are little groups that might break away from the main group. And instead of having unity, everybody all together, equal, serving the Lord, worshiping together, we might say, oh, well, I want to have my little friend group over here. And, you know, we'll all be together at the meeting. And then we'll all just, you know, hang out for lunch and just do our own little group thing. And so I would say as leaders that you should be able to have your own friends, of course, right? We all say that, but there's a way that you might do it that could be really hurtful. I've been in situations where um, I'm not included in a friend group and you can tell when they have their inside jokes or their, their things that they share together and they make you feel like you're just not one of them. And they might not include you, right, Brenda, that I'm sure you ladies have seen this amongst leaders and amongst people at the church. And I would say, especially as leaders, we need to pay attention to how we treat the body that we serve and how we are with those people, that we don't hurt them, that we don't try to make a faction. And I would say instead as leaders, what we need to do is look to the people. And I always say it's important to serve the, the weakest the ones who are hurting, the ones that might be very different from us, and to seek those out because that promotes um, unity and it promotes just what Jesus was like, that he came to serve. And we want to be more of that mentality, not just coming along to our fellowships and looking for people who are just like us, who can serve my needs for friendship and just um, have a little inside group. Right. I think fractions are are a big thing, especially in women's ministry, I think, because we tend to get our feelings hurt. We do want our friends group. And, you know, we always want the group. And then once we're in it, we want the group to close, right? <laughs> once we're there. And so I think as leaders, you know, we had, we had a situation years ago at our church where there was a group of leaders who decided to get together and have like their own thing. Well, then um, you know, and and it was like, okay, just be quiet about it. But it got out, and then the women of the church started feeling rejected, and they wanted to join. And then they were told, no, this is a closed group. And um, and honestly, my leaders really couldn't understand why this was hurtful to the the goal and the mission of Jesus. And I tried to explain it to them, and I finally had to get to the point where, listen. I can't tell you what to do in your private time, but I can, as a leader, observe what kind of a leader you're becoming. And I think that we need to teach that to our women that, no, there are women that are hurting, and we have to take that into account. And it is really tricky because on one hand, we say, oh, we want you guys to do life together and, and become friends. And, and and then on the other, we're like, but not too good of friends because we have to include everyone. <laughs> so I think knowing like when it's appropriate to do so or being discreet about, you know, yeah. your own little yeah. friend group so that other people aren't hurt because there is a mission 
behind what we're doing, especially in church leadership, there's a mission to it. It's not just so you can get in and get in the club and get your friends and be satisfied personally. We're trying to share the gospel with people. And so, um, so that, you know, there's some scriptures that I was thinking about. One is Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, no seven that he detests, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent, the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to wrong, false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. And so those are things that we don't want to um, be a part of. And and as leaders, I think we want to teach um, those things. One of the things in in leadership that that I can um, teach unity in are things like when I share vision. You know, if once a year I get together with all my servants and say, okay, we're going to have a vision day where I can share vision so I can promote unity and teach about unity. Um, we share our values. We do it in training. You know, these are these are getting everybody on one page and getting them to understand the mission then helps down the road inform, you know, behavior, setting that expectation that, you know, how we're going to handle conflict rightly. Um, and I, those are just Christian principles, aren't they? That we need to learn how to handle conflict rightly. That we need to respect somebody else's opinion. Um, we may fight, we may disagree, but before the sun goes down, you know, we need to practice forgiveness, and we need to encourage one another. And we need to work out these differences. And so, um, when your leader under when your leadership, I think, understands what's expected, then that helps them later yeah. on down the line in the <clears throat> congregation to sort of, you know, not cause discord. So I think we, uh, all those are great points. And I think at first we're all focusing on the things that tear apart unity, the gossip and the slander and the things not to do. And um, and those are really important. And I think a lot of that is pride and self-interest and ambition that we have to watch out for. And then now jumping with, on t- with you, uh, Brenda, on how to actually build the unity as far as uh, communicating of that vision often and clearly, because I think often we can have a great vision and a goal, but if we're not communicating it with our our people who we're leading, uh, they can lose interest. They don't understand. They start to question. But to be able to uh, constantly communicate it, uh, even if it's a small task, that they understand that the task is for a bigger purpose. And, and I think it's constantly reminding them of that and sharing that purpose. And, uh, you know, I I just keep thinking of Nehemiah probably because we are studying him right now. But in Nehemiah chapter three, he was able to get men, women, important people, not important people, tribes, different occupations, regions, cultures, all together to do this same, you know, to rebuild the walls. It was amazing that he could do it. But, you know, his mission was of the building and restoration of Jerusalem and the walls. And us, we have this mission of building his church. And so how was he able to be unified in that mission? And again, he shared over and over, I think, the vision and goal. He used everybody's gifts and he accepted what they could do rather than, you know, being angry what they couldn't do. He prayed. That was a big he was our example, but I really like that he included them. It was always we and us, you right. know, it was the whole team thing. It wasn't, I'm the leader and you're not. Mm-hmm. We let us rise up and build. We, we, and engaged the people and reminded them that they had purpose 
as well. 14 times in that chapter, it said, and next to him was, it was always this next to him, this mm-hmm, whole like community feel. And so I think what you said about sharing vision, it starts from that. And um, if people can engage in that, then they're more to, likely to be unified. That's a good point. And I would say for leaders who are listening that it's important that we set that example and we do those things ourselves. Yeah. And uh, coming along with your team, it promotes unity when you give them a job to do and you trust them to do it, that you're Definitely. not micromanaging them because yeah. they won't like that. Right. right. And and when you're when you're also working with a group of people and you have other people who are serving, it's important that you you breed unity, that you get your team to talk together, to have relationships and to build stronger relationships, to know one another and how to pray for one another. Because in having those relationships, people build trust and they are more comfortable working and serving the community and accomplishing the goals that you have in your ministry. Gosh, I agree with that. And I think our responsibility as leaders is like what you said, is to lead the way in unity. We have to show how it's done. Um, I think that's a great point, Rosemary. And even when people are causing discord, are causing divisions, are causing fractions, it's our job then to get them to turn. Um, In our situation that I was sharing in our example— you know that that fraction ended up. There was like one leader in the group that that pulled away, and then there was another, and then we ended up doing what they were doing for our whole body. And so it was taking something that could have ruined, caused division, really upset some people, and then we made it into like, okay, I want to promote unity. How can we do that in this situation? I love Ephesians 4. Um, I think it starts in verse 1. Yeah, mm-hmm. verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner um, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's mm-hmm. faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Mm-hmm. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in living through all. But then you look at James, and he knew, okay, we're going to struggle with this. And so he says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you. Mm-hmm. You want what you don't have, and you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous and of what yeah. others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You, yet you don't have um, what you want because you don't ask uh, God for it. And when you do, even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong, and you want only what will give you pleasure. And so I think in talking about yes, this is what unity is. We, we also have to keep in mind those damaging things to the body, in, and we, we, we really do need to also teach about strife and division and discord because that damages the body of Christ, and, and people need to know that so that they don't engage in that mm-hmm. And because we're a witness not only to our own bodies but then to the world. And so if we're going to cause division or sow discord or trigger strife, you know, all those things, a disunion, a disunion, dissension, disharmony, then 
you know, you know, I think we've lost the ability to just disagree and have <laughs> civil discourse in our in in our world now. It's just we don't have that ability anymore to just say let's disagree, right. but we still can love each other and be unified. So, my big question on how we practice unity when we disagree with someone is we can avoid strife. Yeah. You know, and strife is deeper. It's like a deeper argument and it involves kind of bitterness and envy and jealousy, things that, you know, James knew full well. Most likely, you know, we're dealing in that situation with pride or an unteachable spirit. And I think we have to recognize those things so that when we demand our own way, we get bitter and angry, then strife comes. And it's almost a progression. You see, like, the discord, which means a dif- disagreement, and then strife means a bitter disagreement, and then division, you separate. So there's almost this like progression to to that, and it's the opposite of unity. Yeah. You know, these fractions, these divisions, this strife, it alienates friends, it divides, it defines, um, it divides families, and then ultimately it destroys churches. Well, and we've seen yeah. it over and over and over again where churches split over the dumbest things, philosophy of ministry, methods that they're using. Well, they're not saying the right thing or they're not doing the right thing or they don't believe the same thing we do. That's impossible yeah. for us to all believe the same things. So or they start they can focus on opinions and like you said methodologies or I like this kind of worship and you like that kind of worship and stuff like that that it, it doesn't matter. And the verse that you read in Ephesians, I love the part, endeavoring to keep, or that word's also translated, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And as leaders, how do we do that? How do we maintain that? We are always called to love and to and to do it in the bond of peace, even in disagreements. And so I think that's what we don't see right now. It's like attack, devour, rather than maintain peace and stuff. And I like, I read a quote this week I think it was Rick Warren. He said, we can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. And I, mm. I thought, you know, that's that's true. Um, and this unconditional love that we can have, it doesn't mean we agree with everybody and there's a way to handle all that, but we still are supposed to have unconditional love for one another, whether we agree or not. And that right. might look different and result in forgiveness or, or whatever, but the competition that's within the churches. And I kind of think of it as a team and the church is a team, right? And a lot of times who wins? Not the one with the best two athletes. Maybe they're all better athletes, but the ones who are working together as a team and have developed that, they often win more than, you know, and they're the less talented, but they've learned how to work together as a team. And I think that's a great analogy for the body of Christ and uh, for the church to be able to put up, embrace the same purpose, and that purpose overrides our own personal preferences. And so um, it's important. Yeah. Proverbs is so great at just getting right in our face. The fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. <laughs> yeah, just, there you go. <laughs> keep the that verse, one close. I think if we build—oh, sorry, Rosemary. Go on. The verse you read, Brenda, was the one I was thinking of out of Ephesians 4, and— just this calling for us to be completely humble um, and how that's really challenging because being completely humble means you just don't need to control everything. You really need to be that person described further on in Ephesians who um, whose job is in verse 12 to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity 
in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And it's just this idea that we come along as leaders and our job is to lift the others up, to get to know them, to see what their gifts are and put them in a place where they can serve the Lord. Because Mm -hmm. in that having humility, it's not just me coming and, no, I'm going to bless you all with all my gifts and it's the me show. Mm -hmm. But our job is to come around and lift up the church members and let them serve the Lord. Oh my gosh, that goes with a quote that I just read. It was called, we should have window and mirror maturity as leaders. When things go well, leaders point out the window and give credit to everyone else. When things go wrong, they look in the mirror and take full responsibility. I'm like, oh, windows and mirrors. I thought that was really cool. Now, switching kind of gears to, you know, we've talked a little bit now about, you know, leadership within the church and, and promoting unity and teaching unity and all that. But we hear this word ecumenical a lot in our culture today. And, um, you know, first of all, what does it mean? Ecumenism is an organized attempt to bring about the cooperation and unity among all religions. And some would say among all Christians. So we have a problem with definition right up front. You know, what What does that mean for us? But, um, but should we be involved in joint ventures, um, local, nationally, internationally? You know, what are the boundaries? And and as believers, what are some things that we could ask, that we could think through? Like, how is that possible to be united in mission um, and either with a, another Christian organization, one might say they're Christian, or a non-Christian organization? What are your thoughts, Kelly? Well, I think— one thing to, I guess, make sure we understand is even if we choose, uh, we don't want to partner with an organization because of a a difference or something, that doesn't necessarily mean we still can't maintain this bond of unity, you know, and love and peace. It's not like we've marked them. And so, you know what I mean? I think we can still be unified even at times when we don't choose to work with them. Um, but I think as far as partnering with other churches, if we're talking about that, we need to, I don't know, do we have the same goal and vision? We don't have to have all, like, obviously believe in the essentials, but we can differ in a lot of things. And I think it's always, it comes up to, you need to pray about it and see if you're, I guess, compatible would be the word, um, that your goals and visions as far as the thing that you're doing, if you guys have complete, or if it's like a, I don't know, a, community organization and your heart is you want to evangelize at this thing and they're obviously not going to do that. You have a different goal and vision, so you're not going to. Um, but if you even believe in different roles as far as in that, I, I guess you just have to figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish. I don't think I'm answering your question. Rosemary, what do you got? Um, I would say that it's very important that we we stick to the essentials that when we want to work with other people, that we we know the essentials of our faith and for what's, um, you know, when we want to work with them, what what's the point of what we're doing? Are we going out and doing some evangelical program altogether? Well, then it's really important that we're talking about the same Jesus, mm-hmm. the same Bible, the same gospel message, how we get to heaven, you know, that these are really important. But I would say that if you want to go and serve the 
needy in your community, then, you know, really you could partner with other people who are maybe some doctrinally, some differences, but the, the love for Christ Mm -hmm. and his word is there and just a love for these people. And I would say that that's, that's important to think about is what is the goal you're accomplishing and trying to work with others. Right. I think one of the keys is as a leader is that each situation is different and it must be evaluated biblically and through much prayer, and it requires wisdom. I think that we need wisdom. You know, yes, if we call ourselves Christian and we're going out to evangelize, you know, and we're going to be presenting the gospel, then we do need to be united. Like the hill we might die on would be the basic tenets of the Christian faith. You know, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God, the Son of God, born of a virgin. He died, was buried, rose again on the third day. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. Jesus is coming again for His bride when faith— when our faith then will become fact and you know we certainly will be unified on that day when when we all get to spend eternity but i know for us like you know there's there's a difference like you said rosemary like between you know going in somewhere i'll give you an example we were on the mission field in ireland and we work with diverse groups in ireland because there's not you know there's different op- obligations and and things that we want to accomplish but there might be a group that we partner with and we might do a leadership conference and we're like-minded. We believe the same things. We wouldn't go and do a leadership conference with a church that we didn't agree on the basics of the doctrine. But if we were to go out and maybe do um, evangelism or doing an outreach or maybe we're doing a VBS, we certainly would go into a church that maybe we wouldn't disagree, that we would disagree with on the basics because we're going to be doing the teaching. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were partnering with another church and they're like, well, we want to do half the teaching and you are, well, then that requires different wisdom, you know? And so if you, if you, you have to kind of know who you're partnering with on one project, it might be, hey, you know, we can partner with someone, a group that's a non-Christian group, Mm -hmm. you know, out in the community, like Mm -hmm. you say, and hope that we can share the gospel with them. So lots of different, um, lots of different avenues to take, lots of things to think through, but we have to think through these things. We can't just make it a blanket like unity without truth. No. We, We have to have um, the truth of the gospel, and we have to know kind of what hills that we're going to be um, yeah. dying on. I guess, it, I don't know, I keep going back to my point, though. Even if you're like, we can't evangelize together, I think it's unity and partnering with someone don't have to go together. I can still not evangelize or partner with that group to do this, but that doesn't have to be a disunity. We right. can still That's keep right. our unity in Christ, and I think— that's why sometimes this conversation gets messy because it feels like we're causing a division if we don't. And it doesn't have to be a division. Right. We still should be able to maintain unity and love them. So it's just how you're yeah. looking at it right. and how you do it. And I think some people think united, like we have to think the same. Yeah. We have to all be like-minded. And there is a like-minded in the in the gospel and in, in as believers were to be like-minded. But I think, Kelly, you're just talking, too, about the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. That I'm supposed yeah. to be kind, that I can show kindness, that I can love somebody. You know, um, Jesus said, you know, we read it, that we would be known yeah. by the love that we have one for another. Yeah. So it doesn't mean we have to partner with people. And partnership doesn't mean, okay, you're only unified if you can partner. 
Right. That's not, yeah, that's that's not the, the point. truth. I guess I'm just trying to make. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to do ministry with people, but we can still be united yes. in Christ yes. and not and cause them. division. Yeah. And oftentimes the people we disagree with, honestly, if they know you love them because you're, the fruit of the Spirit is how you treat them and you are kind and loving. In fact, some people that I really disagree with, we are good friends because they know I love them and they don't take offense to it because I'm— you know, showing them love and things like that. And so I guess there's just not a time. You just look at what's going on in our world and the evilness, even within the church and the judgmentalness. It's like there's never a time to do that. We're never given a permission when we disagree to act like we're all acting, you know? Right. It's just too bad. And so when we do differ, I think it's not the judgmentalness that we know we can differ but we don't have to, quote, judge them in that sense, if that makes sense. Well, we can turn people over to the Holy Spirit. I love yeah. what Jesus said in Matthew 5, starting in 46. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that <laughs> for you? Yeah. Even tax collectors can do that much. Yeah. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. Yeah. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Jesus showed us such a great... Um, Example. Yes, he, he said it better than I did. He, That's good. <laughs> yeah. He always says it better yeah, than we do. Yeah, he said it better. That's um, what I meant. But we always we we always have these examples of Jesus. If we would just go back to the basics of looking at the Word of God mm-hmm. and and what that you know and what that means. Amen to that. Amen and to that. With unity, it's so good that we can know that there's this worldwide. Uh, body of Christ, that it's it's one body, and we are just one part of that body. And we don't. It doesn't mean that we have to work with everyone and be one united church in that sense. But just having that mentality to love the body and to minister to the parts who are hurting or who are needy right now, and just keeping that mentality is so important. To not just be so focused on yourself right in your little community, but to always be thinking in a sense of the the worldwide body of Christ and to remember those who are so far away and so different from us, yeah. because that's going to be what it's going to look like in heaven, that we'll all be worshiping together from mm-hmm. every nation. Yeah. Go ahead. I did was thinking on the practical sense, too, for a second, on how to build uh, unity within our own churches. I know we talked about that, but some practical things, I think, is— um, I don't know, oftentimes companies call them bonding activities, but where we we get together and share and get to know one another because that as you're open and honest and sharing your own vulnerabilities and becoming friends with your team, uh, that creates unity. If you keep yourself apart, a lot of leaders do this elitism, that doesn't build unity at all. And also celebrating successes together. I'm praying for one another's burdens and their families and things like that. I know that sounds like duh, but honestly, that stuff uh, mm-hmm. does build unity and respect and uh, mutual submission, kind of a team thing. Yeah. And I think those things are, um, and showing appreciation. We talked about that mm-hmm. on a different, I think, podcast where was it okay to show appreciation? And I personally think it is. They shouldn't be looking for it, but to remind them that what they're doing matters in the big picture of what you're doing. I think all of that builds a unity. And you should do it. 
And you should say those things about your leaders and yeah. about those who serve. You should say it out loud in yeah. front of the whole group yeah. because it shows appreciation. Yeah. And it does just recognize that it's not just the people they see right in front, yeah. that, that there's a ton of people yeah. who are serving and who are a part of the whole ministry. Definitely. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think these are all like really um, things. If you just think back, you know, I was thinking about that scripture you know, who, who are we to judge another man's servant? That the the body, it's in Scripture that it's diverse, that uni- unity is diverse. It, we see it in the Trinity. We see it in marriage. We see it in the church. But then you also think about just, you know, in, in life in general, and, and who are we to judge another man's servant? Like, yeah. there, you look at the, the history of Christianity, there's diversity. Mm-hmm. There's diversity of thought. There's diversity of methods. There's diversity of... Um, even theology, there's diversity in theology and what people believe. How many times have you looked at a scripture you're studying for, you know, a teaching or something, and you're like, man, these these theologians don't even agree on yeah. this. There's diversity of thought in all parts of life. And so I think to come at this, you know, with you said, with that elitist attitude that just says, like, we have this special knowledge, like the Gnostics, you know, yeah. like, we have this special knowledge, like, that's not—it's not an okay thing to do, like— I just think we have to turn people over to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about false teaching or, or right. teaching another Jesus or, right. you know, right. we're not talking about that, but there's a lot of room for improvement in unity mm-hmm. just within the church. I, I read this scripture this morning, and it really um, spoke to me. It's in 1 Corinthians 3, and I'll, I'll read it in the New Living Translation. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world and as though you were infants um, in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by the sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by the sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one says to you, I'm a follower of Paul, and the other says, I'm of Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who's Apollos? Who is Paul? We are all God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did um, the work of the Lord, the work that the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered, but it's God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting and who does the watering? What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together. That's unity. Work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we both, um, we for we are both God's workers, and you are God's fields. You are God's building. I mean, if you can't get unity out of that, yeah. like, <laughs> well, I think ten times in the first five chapters of Acts, it says, "And the church was unified." And the church was unified. So, in that very first beginning church, it was so important that it was, you know, the writer kept being stressing it. So, we got to do this. I was so convicted studying for this this morning. I was just repenting before the Lord. Oh, that's a bad attitude. Oh my gosh, my perspective. Like you know it, and then it's like, okay, Lord, I'm. I think in ways I don't even know as a leader, I am causing disunity without even realizing it. So it's a good thing to look at always and to self-check and to see um, why am I so wise in my opinions and different things like that. So I don't know about you guys. Maybe you have, you're have you better than me, but I was quite convicted. But that's true. I mean, we should 
be able to be together and be united over opinions of things that are not essential to our faith. We should be able to love one another when people say yes to the mask or no to the mask or, um, you know, whatever those differences of opinion are, we don't need to divide over it. We could still say that we could put these differences aside because they don't change who we are in Christ. They don't change our faith. And uh, we should be able to, as leaders, Leaders to look at people who have a different opinion on those kinds of things and say that you are just as welcome as anybody else. I love yeah. you just the same. And we could just talk about other things, right? Yeah. Kelly, I and I love that you shared that you were convicted by this. And and because we as leaders, we have failures, we have we make mistakes. I don't think I anybody uh, yeah, all of us do. Lot. Sometimes I wonder, like, God, really? Am I, I'm like Moses, you know? Did you? Isn't I there someone that can that. do this better? I'm pretty sure there is. Um, but you know, when we're thinking through these things, it's not like you wake up and go, you know what? I'm going to cause strife in the body of Christ today. I'm I'm going to go out there and just sow as much discord as I can. Like we're not thinking not. Yeah. that. We want unity. Yeah. Like that's what we want. But. We do have to open our eyes to these things and look at what the Scripture says. You know, Jesus Himself prayed for unity in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, that mm-hmm. we would be u- unified, and um, like He was unified. And so it's important, and as the body and the bride of Christ, it's time to stop um, using excuses like, well, I don't like them, or they're, mm-hmm. we're not like-minded, or I disagree, or pointing out all these little things and somehow thinking that we're doing a favor to the body of Christ or that we're promoting Jesus in that moment yeah. because these are just reasons for disunity and that's not of God. Yeah. Like at the bottom line, it's just not of God. Now, And we one, make a bad witness for ourselves when we act like this. The yeah. world is going to look on and say, what a mess and what a inbred, fighting, biting, you know, just Dis- look at this family. It's not attractive. <laughs> yeah. It's, no. not, it's not attractive. No, it's yeah. not. I think even as far as as a leader— let's just say bad communication. We're not trying to communicate bad, but oftentimes when you're working with a team and if you fail to communicate either often, clearly, or, you know, your vision right or whatever, people begin, and I know because I do too, people begin to think you're intentionally doing that. Oh, they're not telling us something. Oh, this. And when there's all this room for speculation without being upfront, the goods and the bads, this is what's happening. I'm keeping you posted. It just opens the door for other things. And so even something as simple as communication, the way we do it is huge to promote unity or don't do it right. So many times, you know, when you get a text and it's kind of weird and you all like you text back and they never answer you and the whole day you're thinking, oh, was that mean? Was that a joke? Was that, it just leaves, you know, it kind of left room for wondering and pondering and then you're all in a tizzy. But I think when we communicate bad, that happens too, so... That's a lot good. of areas to look at. That's good. Um, one book I would recommend that everybody, and I don't know if you guys have resources on Unity, but one book that um, I've skimmed lately and I want to sit down and read is Gavin Ortland's, um Finding the Right Hills to Die On. Oh, I and just I got guess, that. You I haven't did? read it. I haven't read it yet, though. We yeah. should read it together. That would be that would be fun. You know, like in the next lifetime when yeah. we have time to okay, yeah. mm-hmm. actually... <laughs> Actually, read together. Oh, it's hard enough to read alone. Yeah, no. <laughs> actually sit down and, and, and read something. But um, hmm. So let me read this excerpt because I just loved it. It said, In theology, just as in battle, some hills are worth dying on and others are not. 
But how do we know which ones? When should doctrine divide and when should unity prevail? Just as a medic on the battlefield treats the severely wounded first and then moves to the less serious injuries, we must prioritize doctrine in order of importance. Pastor Gavin Ortland implores us to cultivate humility as we prioritize doctrine into four ranks. He says, essential urgent, important, and unimportant, (laughs) so that we will be as effective as possible at advancing the gospel in our time. And Mm, I just, I mean, it just makes you want to read it because it's like, okay, he's breaking down, like, when should we divide? And when is it like you are dying on a hill that you should not be (laughs) dying on? Let it go. Well, thank you for joining us today. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe to hear future episodes and help us by leaving a review and share the link with a friend. You can also follow us on Instagram at when she leads. And we have an announcement. We are creating a community of leaders and we would love for you to join us as we gather once a month over Zoom. Women from all over the globe are spending a few minutes together being encouraged through a time of devotion then breaking off into smaller groups to get to know one another, get to know other leaders and pray for one another. Email us if you're interested and simply say, add me to your gatherings and we'll send you the link for the next meetup. Our email address is whensheleadspodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time at the table as we discuss having a spiritually healthy view of women in church leadership. We may need part one and part two of that. Until then, remember to lead people to know, love, and serve Jesus.